Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, on lovely AM 950. You're listening to Ellie 2.0 Radio. And guess what? It's a live show. You got me. You got me as... You got me as your live host today on this show. It is not recorded. It is a rainy, crappy day in Minnesota. The only saving grace is that it's 60 degrees, which is about the highest it's gotten in this state uh, since like last September or October. And so uh, I guess that's a saving grace. But you have me and we have a we have a show filled with a lot of different stuff but you know as you if you are regular listeners you know you know you know that when i am live i love listening i love hearing from my listeners and so if you can give me a call at 9529466205 i would love to hear from you and you know what um I wrote down earlier, as I was preparing for the show on my show notes, which are totally incomplete because they end at a certain point, I wrote down the prompt, and I don't know, well, I'm going to just give you the prompt, okay? And the prompt is this, do you care about transgender humans? And the reason, the reason I put that prompt out there for you is, well, of course, I'm trans, but I'm, you know, I'm relatively okay with me. It's more about younger transgender and non-binary humans I care about and I'm worried about. But with what's going on in America right now, it sure seems like a whole lot of people just really don't care about my community whatsoever. So if you care about my community and you want to give me a call and talk to me, that would be great. If you want to talk about something else totally unrelated, by all means, we can do that too. I'm I'm good. I, I just love hearing from my listeners. So... But let us begin, okay, with uh, featured idealist number one. I've got two featured idealists today. Uh, featured idealist number one is someone uh, I got to know through watching Chris Hayes and Joy Reid and other MSNBC commentators. Yes, of course, I'm an MSNBC junkie. And even when I first saw this guy, I thought to myself, whoa, he is one cool Dude, he's also quite handsome. But I, you know, I thought, whoa, I, you know, I really like this guy, okay? Because obviously he's very smart. And he, you know, he, he's just got really great takes. But last week I realized that in addition to this dude being cool, he was also quite idealistic. Who is this person whom I'm talking about? I am speaking of Malcolm Nance, who indeed has become has been a frequent MSNBC commentator on terrorism, anti-terrorism, and uh, America's relations with Russia and China, um, and is always so incredibly informative, always. But last week, my impression of Nance changed greatly when I saw him in full combat gear. We are talking helmet, flak jacket. We're, I mean, we're talking the whole regala and assault rifle, and he was standing not in America at that time, he was standing in Ukraine, and he had become part of the expeditionary, the foreign legion, so to speak, for, for Ukraine, and he explained to MSNBC's Joy Reid that he was done talking and decided that it was time to take action. And this man, 
you know? He's got a, a Navy pension, which I'll get to in a second. He, I, I'm sure that he's financially doing just fine. I'm sure that he's loved, has all the comforts that any American, successful American could ever ask for. This guy is now in Ukraine, slogging through the mud, trying to protect Ukrainians and their democracy. So who is Malcolm Nance? Well, for one thing, he's older. He was born in Philadelphia in 1961. So now he is 61. Think of that relative to him slogging through Ukraine mud to go fight a war. In Philadelphia, he attended a boy Catholic high school where he studied Spanish, French, and Latin. Clearly, Nance was curious about the world, but even more so, he was incredibly motivated. He also took free classes in Russian and Chinese that were offered by a local public high school on Saturdays. Now, think about this. You got a teenager studying five languages in high school. Wow. At age 19, Nance entered the U.S. Navy and, uh, and served our Navy, our country, from 1981 to 2001 where he specialized in naval cryptology, that is, spy stuff, breaking codes. Eventually, he would work his way up to the rank of senior chief petty officer. Now, that is one, if you know anything about the military, chief petty officers are incredibly, incredibly important. It's one of the most esteemed roles in all of the military. And in his naval career, Nance took part in numerous counterterrorism, intelligence, and combat operations. After leaving the military, Nance founded a, a company called Special Readiness Services International, an intelligence support company. And it was in that role that he was driving to the Pentagon on a full day, September 11th, 2001. And while in the car, he literally watched as American Airlines Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon. Now think about that. This man, with all that service to the country, he witnesses, literally witnesses, the plane crashing into the Pentagon. And immediately acted as a first responder on the scene after that to help victims injured in the attack. After his military service, Nance distinguished himself as an authority on terrorism and threats to America, including Russia and China. In 2007, Nance wrote an article criticizing waterboarding. You remember that from the George Bush days. Uh, waterboarding as an interrogation technique. He admitted to engaging in that, that tactic, waterboarding, while in the military and said he had witnessed and supervised waterboarding on hundreds of people. Nance wrote that waterboarding doesn't work and later testified before Congress where he said waterboarding dishonors the memory of U.S. service members who died in captivity due to torture. Nance's article about waterboarding helped convince the Pentagon to stop using that technique on prisoners. Nance then went on to author several books about counterterrorism and other things and... Um, Another interesting fact is that Nance did all of that, <laughs> all, several book writing, all of those things. He did all of that without a college degree. Nance didn't obtain a college degree, a BA degree, until 2011 when he was 
50 years old. Think about that. Now, um, let's get to his uh, stint in Ukraine. Why did he go there? So as reported by Al Jazeera on April 20th, Nance said this, telling Joy Reid, quote, we are here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to protect the innocent people of Ukraine from this Russian aggression. And he talked about joining the International Legion of Territorial Defense of Ukraine. It's a military force created in the wake of the Russian invasion that has 20,000 volunteers from 52 countries. Think about that. Think about how Russia's invasion has motivated 20,000 people with military training, with, with uh, first aid training, to go to Ukraine from 52 countries. Nance went on to say, The more I saw of the war going on, the more I thought, I've done talking. It's time to take action. This is an existential war, he said, and Russia has brought it to these people, and they are mass-murdering civilians. And there are people like here like me who are here to do something about it. He went on to say the International Legion is a multinational force. And there are men and women, there are thousands here who are here to protect this country. So I have decided to come here to assist them with the skills I have myself. You know... Um, it is rare, okay, now idealists and idealism, and you know, I mean, they show up in all ways, and many times they do risk their lives just simply for being who they are. But in Malcolm Nance's case, this idealist, he went out into the path of danger voluntarily to live up to his ideals about protecting democracy and protecting the people of Ukraine. I got to tell you, that is something else. It really is. So, okay, so that's our very first uh, uh, featured idealist this week. I've got another one that's going to come up later on in the show. We're going to talk about some other things. But again, I would love to hear from my listeners um, at 952-946-6205. Give me a call. It's been a long time since I've talked to anybody. And uh, you know what? I'm not live very often. So, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little bit more about this show and things that I like to talk about. Thanks. We're back. <laughs> LE 2.0 Radio. Here we are. We are back and we are doing our thing. And and um, and guess what? I've got a caller on the line. Uh, Carlita from California is on the line. Are you there? Mm, hi. Hi. Uh, yes. And I and I, 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 California. I pronounced it right. It's car. I wrong. It's Carita, right? Uh, yes, and uh, I'm I'm just wondering, are you talking about uh, Malcolm Nance that's on the Stephanie Miller's show uh, on Thursdays uh, from 8 to 11 on uh, AM 950? 
I don't. Who's a military uh, analyst? He is a mil. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know if that he's on Stephanie's show, but yep, that sounds like him. That's right. Yep. The, the one who wrote all those books about the plot to hack America and so forth about yep. the Russian involvement in the U.S. elections in 2016 Abs- and 2018 and 2020. Absolutely, that's the guy. Oh, okay. Uh, I just want to confirm that because I think he. She needs more uh, uh, expert uh, lawyers who happen to be trans to uh, be on her show. On Stephanie Miller's show? Yes. That's all. Okay, Uh, thank you. Okay, all right. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Take care. Okay, um, just for the record, I have no production uh, capability for Stephanie Miller whatsoever. Um, But... um, But... uh, Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen, thank you for calling. And if I'd love to hear from other listeners as well, 952-946-6205. So um, I want to kind of move on and I want to talk about uh, Walt Disney, the mouse. Let's talk about the mouse. And so... Uh, you all, I'm sure some of you, are aware of what's happening right now in Florida. Uh, the Florida legislature looks like it has, well, it has passed and Governor DeSantis has signed a bill revoking uh, Disney's, you know, ability to self-govern <clears throat> um, in Florida. I mean, it's like, you know, Disney had its own own kind of government, fire and police protection, you know, water and sewer and, you know, I mean, something to the tune of, you know, $169 million worth of services every year that Disney handled um, for its properties. And that is now, that $169 million is now uh, being shifted to Orange County, California, uh, excuse me, Orange County, Florida, because... Governor DeSantis got upset with Disney. And what upset him? What upset him was that Disney spoke out against the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida. Now, Disney's timing, uh, albeit, was not very good because as the Don't Say Gay bill was being debated and as it was coming down, Disney was pretty quiet. Disney didn't take a stand. But once the bill was enacted, now remember, this is the bill where in Florida you can't talk about, you know, anything related to, um, you know, little Johnny having two parents, uh, two men as parents, or, you know, Susie having two mommies. Um, For any kid between grades uh, uh, kindergarten through fifth, but then the law is pretty vague about talking about anything related to um, anything about sexual identity or orientation uh, for the rest of, like, public school years. I mean, so what, what that law has done is it has chilled, it has incredibly chilled all the public schools and private schools about talking about things that are important for LGBTQ students as well as other students. So that law came down, that law got passed, that, that went into effect two weeks ago. Disney didn't say anything. I mean, they really didn't take a public position but then the law got passed, and then Disney, which has a lot of LGBTQ employees, 
started feeling pressure from its employees, its team members, for not having said anything. So Disney then took a public stand and criticized the bill and said that it was wrong for Florida. And that got Governor DeSantis a little upset, a lot upset. So much so that, uh, you know, DeSantis has essentially said, well, he said, we're going we're gonna to punish you, Disney, for engaging what is called allyship. Uh, Disney was acting truly as an ally for its LGBTQ employees. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and of course DeSantis is, you know, he is uh, certainly modeling himself on the future Trump uh, the way, he, I mean, we're, we're going to see him try to run for president. I have no doubt about it. And we're going to see DeSantis try to out-Trump Trump. That's at least the word on the street. And so, um, yeah, I just, and stay tuned. Just stay tuned because, you know, businesses, one of the things that businesses have done is, is to attempt to be allies for LGBTQ people. Although that, because of the, the whole number of bills, I mean, I read the other day that more than 300 anti-LGBTQ bills, with, with the majority of those being against anti-transgender people, have been introduced in state houses across the country this year. Think about that. And, 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 and it's all over the place. So I, I, it's, it's more and more difficult for businesses to speak up because it's not like just confined to one state. It's like across the country. And, and everyone, it is just going to get worse before it gets better. It will. Stay tuned to what the Supreme Court does come June as it relates to Roe v. Wade. Because when, once that goes, I'm, I'm, and I, I think it's going to go because the Supreme Court will say, really, there is no inherent right to privacy in the Constitution, then LGBTQ people will be far more attacked. All right, moving on. Um, and, and talking about the Supreme Court, okay, talking about what the thing, there was a, a Jennifer Rubin wrote this piece in the Washington Post. It, it dropped on the 20th, and it's titled, The Supreme Court Would Risk More Than Legitimacy by Imposing Christian Nationalism. You know, and, and what Rubin writes about is, you know, of course, the, uh, uh, the, the First Amendment states this, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, Congress is not supposed to in any way do anything that legitimizes one religion or other in our country, nor is it supposed to pass any laws that say you can't have religious freedom. Now, you may remember, I mean, America was founded on people who were persecuted for their religion. I mean, the pilgrims came here because they were persecuted, you know, in, in, in England and in Europe for their religious views. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we can go all the way up through, you know, Rhode Island and uh, the whole thing, okay? And so when the Constitution was drafted and then ratified, the whole idea was we do not want to have a national religion. Now that has, but now we have this thing called Christian nationalism which is tied to the idea, the idea that there is one, one chosen, one chosen group of people, that'd be Christians, okay, and actually white Christian people. And, and by the way, I should, <laughs> Ellie, you're treading into territory here. I should let everybody know, 
I, I am a huge believer in religion. I'm a huge believer in people having spiritual faith and, and practicing the religion. I mean, I, my goodness, absolutely. I'm not a big fan, though, of that happening at the expense of other humans. And what Rubin goes on to say is that um, now, come, now along come right-wing, overwhelmingly white evangelical Christians, a large portion of whom have decided they are victims of persecution. They believe this even though the United States remains by far the most religiously observant country among affluent countries, and they ignore the fact that the government has long incorporated religious exemptions, like such as for military service, and that religious hate crimes are overwhelmingly directed at Jews and Muslims. So you've got white Christian evangelicals, for the most part, who are saying, we are being prosecuted. And, then, and she goes on to quote Amanda Taylor, Tyler of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, who said recently in an interview, quote, I believe that the single biggest threat to religious freedom in the United States today is Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is antithetical to the constitutional idea that belonging in American society is not predicated on what faith one practices or whether someone is religious at all. The political ideology that, seems to mer- that seeks to merge American and Christian identities is, is deeply embedded in American society and manifests itself in a number of ways, some more obviously harmful than others. Now, the Supreme Court has a number of cases before it, including a case about whether a, a, a football coach could, have been, could be fired because he wanted to do a simple prayer with his whole team uh, before they would start their games, okay? You know, and, and, and Ruben goes on to say, you know, quote, the, the arrogance of justices who imagine that there is such a thing as plain vanilla prayer as though certain religions don't have specific distinct practices for prayer is quite striking, she goes, she writes, a football coach leading prayer, as Americans, as apple pie, as American as apple pie, those defending school prayer might say. Besides, kids don't have to follow along, unless, of course, they're afraid of being ostracized, insulted, or possibly losing playing time. She goes on to write, similarly, those pushing to outlaw abortion under the assumption that life begins at conception refuse to acknowledge the view reflects a particularly Christian belief. Think about that. That's right. This thing about religion, about when, when life begins, that is based on a particular religion. Assuming it as the basis for constitutional interpretation, uh, uh, Rubin writes, could not be further from the ideals of limited government and religious freedom. Um, and then finally she writes, it's no coincidence the notion of the United States being Christ- a Christian nation has become particularly popular just as white evangelicals are becoming a minority of the population. This, that seems to set off the desperate crusade to use the government to install one faith in a position of prominence and tell the rest of Americans, including the growing segment who identify with no religion, to either go along or remove themselves from official proceedings. So uh, be aware, okay, be aware Supreme Court has a number of religious cases coming down, you know, and it's going to be, and we've also, I mean, I even talked about the baking case, you know, about whether they can bake. Again, we've got another baking, another service to LGBTQ people case coming down. I mean, okay, we've got, uh, we've got uh, Lynette from Chaska, my old friend. She's on the line. Hey, Lynette, how are you? 
Hi, Ellie. Can you hear me okay? I can. Welcome. Okay. Good to hear you again. Welcome to Ellie 2.0 again. Good to hear you live. Live, (laughs) live. You're alive. That's good. You know, um, your topics today, I'm absolutely loving your topics. And yes, I do listen to Stephanie Miller's show, and I do hear Malcolm Nance on there all the time. And um, that's a um, story of bravery. And then when you are talking about Rick DeSantis and, and the LGBT, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. That's okay. Right, but you know what I'm saying. Yep, yep. Just that's such cowardice. I'm just, I'm so sick of the cowardice, and it's just, it's just sad because being a bully, uh, you know, people go to counseling for dealing with people like that in their families, and then when it's nationalized and people support that, it's like, yeah, if I go to a counselor, the next time I go to a counselor, I'm just going to say if. If you voted for these people, we have to talk about healthy, you know, attitudes and and what's a, a, a fair and honest way to treat people. And when you just see on a national scale, you know, people treating people like that, like what Rick or Rick DeSantis is about, and then and then they'll say, oh, this is terrible what Putin is doing. Well, it's the same thing. Oh, and uh, this is how we get there. Right, right. I mean. You know, I mean, it's it's we're in the early stages of fascism and, you know, the, and after they have power, they I'm putting quotation marks, uh, air marks there, you know, to enforce. OK, then the next step is is violence. The next step is that um, I will tell you, though, Lynette, you, you, you're assuming that people can go to counselors, um, you know, the Alabama, Alabama um, enacted. Uh, a law uh, prohibiting gender-affirming care for transgender youth under age 19. They, uh, the governor signed that law last week. There's a provision in that law that says that any public or private school counselor, teacher, etc., therapist, who, who finds a child who's transgender, so the child comes to them because they've got issues about their gender identity. It's a very it's very scary, and they're trying to figure themselves out. That teacher, counselor, therapist is obligated under Alabama law to out the kid to their parents. Mm. So now children in Alabama, I mean, they have, I mean, they have very limited places to go to get counseling, to get therapy. And so, and, and why is this? This is because people believe that being trans or non-binary or let's do the extension of lesbian and gay and bisexual, that they're, that they, that they're not real, that they're all choices, that people, you'll outgrow them, you know, give it time. You know, um, by the way, uh, Lynette, I think you know about my book and everyone, I gave it a whole lot of time. I gave it 50 years and I'm just here to report to you. You don't outgrow it. It's just part of who you are. So Lynette, it's really great to hear from you and I really appreciate um, you calling. Yes, well, thank you for being there. Your show. Well, you're Thank welcome. You. And, and and coming up in the next segment, we got one more idealist I think you're going to like. I bet you've listened to her, um, uh, a legislator from Michigan who was all over the news the last couple of days. And I'm going to play her speech over how uh, she fought back about somebody uh, who wanted to other her along with a lot mm. of other humans. So get ready, I okay? Know- I know who you're talking about. Okay. Have you heard, have you heard her speech? 
I yes, I have. Okay, well, you're going to get to hear it again because it's okay. well worth hearing more than once. Okay. I love her. Uh, okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Lynette. Thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. Okay, everyone. Well, listen, I've got to take a I've got to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go talk about the the second featured idealist of this day. I'm loving that you call. I'd love to hear from somebody else. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. We're going to take a break. I'll be back in a second. And I'm back. Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Hey, it's all great to hear from listeners. I love it. And uh, we've got one last segment, and then we're going to be done here. So uh, we're in the home stretch. If you want, give me a call, 952-946-6205. As promised uh, when I was talking to Lynette from Chaska, Thank you, Lynette, for calling again. Um, when I, I, I promised we've got a second, a second featured idealist, and I think that if you haven't heard her speech, and trust me, it is well worth the four minutes something that we're going to play in a second here. Um, it's well worth. It is an incredible speech. I am talking here about Mallory McMorrow. She is a, a state senator from Michigan. She represents uh, the Michigan 13th District. She is new to politics. I mean, relatively new. She was first elected in 20, 2018. Um, and it was, not a, it was not a blowout. She, she beat her Republican uh, opponent by, by less than four percentage points. Okay, so, I mean, it's, it's not like it's not like Mallory McMorrow is in like a heavily, heavily, heavily uh, Democratic district. But, but in the time that, that she's gotten in there, she has, she has worked to, to help humans. And she's worked to protect pe- uh, people. She was the one who introduced into the Michigan Senate a resolution that June would be considered Pride Month in Michigan. And apparently that, that passed. It did. Um, she's also been the subject of some controversy. I mean— uh, she accused um, she accused one of the one of her colleagues of sexual harassment because he touched her buttocks and lower back during some event, and he he claimed that she only got elected because she um, because of her looks because she is very attractive. Um, but what happened? And the well, I should also let you know that she is thirty five years old. Uh, she was born in New Jersey. Um, that she went to Notre Dame. She has a BA in industrial design from the University of Notre Dame. So she's really actually an engineer, okay? And so um, and, and so there you go. But all of this, the reason I'm going to play a piece for you is that um, a few days ago, uh, a, another Republican state senator named Lana Theis, Thies, um, claimed in a campaign fundraising email that McMurrow, that Mallory, who we're going to talk, who you're going to hear from in a second, wanted to groom and sexualize kindergartners. And Thies put that out, I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing her name right, to raise money. And, uh, and Mallory McMorrow was going to have none of it. 
So I'm going to play. She got up and she started speaking in the Senate in Michigan. And uh, we're going to play the entire speech because it is well worth listening to. Okay, Dan, go ahead. I didn't expect to wake up yesterday to the news that the senator from the 22nd District had overnight accused me by name of grooming and sexualizing children in an email fundraising for herself. So I sat on it for a while wondering why me? And then I realized because I am the biggest threat to your hollow, hateful scheme. Because you can't claim that you are targeting marginalized kids in the name of, quote, parental rights if another parent is standing up to say no. So then what? Then you dehumanize and marginalize me. You say that I'm one of them. You say she's a groomer. She supports pedophilia. She wants children to believe that they were responsible for slavery and to feel bad about themselves because they're white. Well, here's a little bit of background about who I really am. Growing up, my family was very active in our church. I sang in the choir. My mom taught CCD. One day, our priest called a meeting with my mom and told her that she was not living up to the church's expectations and that she was disappointing. My mom asked why. Among other reasons, she was told it was because she was divorced and because the priest didn't see her at mass every Sunday. So where was my mom on Sundays? She was at the soup kitchen with me. My mom taught me at a very young age that Christianity and faith was about being part of a community, about recognizing our privilege and blessings and doing what we can to be of service to others, especially people who are marginalized, targeted, and who had less often unfairly. I learned that service was far more important than performative nonsense like being seen in the same pew every Sunday or writing Christian in your Twitter bio and using that as a shield to target and marginalize already marginalized people. I also stand on the shoulders of people like Father Ted Hesburgh, the longtime president of the University of Notre Dame, who was active in the civil rights movement, who recognized his power and privilege as a white man, a faith leader, and the head of an influential and well-respected institution and who saw black people in this country being targeted and discriminated against and beaten and reached out to lock arms with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive, when it was unpopular and risky and marching alongside them to say, we've got you to offer protection and service and allyship to try to right the wrongs and fix injustice in the world. So who am I? I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense. No child alive today is responsible for slavery. No one in this room is responsible for slavery. But each and every single one of us bears responsibility for writing the next chapter of history. Each and every single one of us decides what happens next and how we respond to history and the world around us. We are not responsible for the past. We also cannot change the past. We can't pretend that it didn't happen or deny people their very right to exist. I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom. I want my daughter to know that she is loved, supported, and seen for whoever she becomes. I want her to be curious, empathetic, and kind. People who are different 
are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment or the, that healthcare costs are too high or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. So I want to be very clear right now. Call me whatever you want. I hope you brought in a few dollars. I hope it made you sleep good last night. I know who I am. I know what faith and service means and what it calls for in this moment. We will not let hate win. Wow, right? Wow. Unbelievable. Now that, what you just heard, that's an idealist of the greatest degree as well as an orator of the greatest degree. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I've still got another nine minutes or so on this show. I, I'm just kind of thinking I should just hang it up because there's nothing that I can say that in any way can even come close to being as profound as what you just heard from Mallory McMorrow. And in that talk, I mean, I just did the segment talking about Christian nationalism. This is part, she's, she was fighting back on that, okay? You know, using the, the title Christian as a shield to allow you to go and marginalize people. I mean, you, you know, and, and this, I mean, this is what's happening in our country. I mean, these laws that are being passed to marginalize transgender youth, I mean, taking away, as, in, as I said when I spoke, uh, with Lynette that, you know, Alabama now, you, trans and non-binary kids can't go get health care. Um, but they did that in, with a title of a law that says, you know, a, a compassionate care for children law. You know, I, it's, just, it's just unbelievable. But, you know, what Mallory McMorrow did by standing up and speaking so eloquently, I mean, and powerful, I mean, this is the kind of speech that you like, you bookmark, you got it, you got it there. You're going to you go come back to that in about two months after something else bad goes on. Um, this, this is the kind of speech that will mark her for the rest of her career as someone who will lead. So I'm in awe. I'm absolutely in awe of that idealist. And, uh, and so pay attention. That name, Mallory McMorrow, I think that we're going to hear that name a whole lot more. Okay, now let me just talk, uh, moving on from that, <laughs> which is so hard to do. I want to talk about a speech I gave, a talk I gave last week. Um, so I, uh, um, Minnesota Women's Press, um, and disclaimer, I write for them. I uh, consult with them, not on a, not to be paid, but as an advisor. Um, Minnesota Women's Press, which is 
I don't know if you picked it up lately, but I'll tell you, it's it's not your it's not your grandmother's Minnesota Women's Press. Okay, it ain't that anywhere close. And they've launched this thing about Change Makers Alliance, about people in Minnesota who are working to create change. I and I've been lucky enough to be recognized as one of those people. And last Sunday or Saturday in Minneapolis, they put on a con- they put on a three hour affair where they brought in eleven. Badass women. That's what they. That's what we were titled. That was the title. Eleven badass women to come, gave us five minutes each to stand up, talk about what, what we do, the work that we're doing, you know what what makes us badass. Okay, and and um, and it was I I sat on a stage with ten other women and the work that they're doing, you know a lot of it in the metro around uh, foster, about trying to change the foster care system or erase it around, around uh, housing inequality and instability, around uh, the environment, uh, all kinds of things. It was very humbling for me. And I've got to tell you, when I got up, I, I got up and I blew the opportunity. I'm just going to tell you right now, I blew the opportunity to say something profound. I did. I didn't prepare for it the way I should have. I got up, I talked, I told a story, and, and, and it was a good story about how I've been, you know, being accepted in, out in Victoria where I live, which is Carver County, which is, you know, historically a red county, you know, and with a lot of people who are, you know, evangelical, but they seem, I, 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 I seem to be, they seem to like me. Okay, and and that and I think that that's an important story, but I needed to say something different. I needed to say something along the Mallory McMorrow lines, with the passion that she had. Something about how my community across this country is just being savagely, savagely attacked. And I know you hear this from me now quite frequently on this show. And maybe some of you are like broken record, but I'm sorry <laughs> if you feel that way, because actually, what else am I going to say? It's not like it's going away. It's worse. And we're going to, we are, and we will continue to lose humans to depression, substance abuse, addiction. So I lost the opportunity, I squandered an opportunity to actually give what could have been, I think, a very significant speech, albeit I only had five minutes, but Mallory McMorrow, I th- she said a whole lot in less than five. And uh, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn from that experience because um, there'll be other opportunities for me to come up and, and try and be profound. Um, and uh, the Mallory McMorrow speech, I'm going to study it actually um, because it is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I am lucky because I do get a platform. I'm incredibly lucky. I mean, I've got this radio show and podcast for, you know, for sure. Okay. And, you know, and I get to write for Lavender and Minnesota Women's Press and other, other places and podcasts search me out to talk, you know, so I am incredibly lucky. And, and, and I, and I realize there's a responsibility with all of that, but boy, I hate it when I squander and that's the right word. When I squander an opportunity to try and be profound, um, 
So, and of course, you know, I'm beating myself up a little bit about it, but of course I also still care about Ellie Krug and I'll, you know, I'll live, don't worry. I'm, I'm all right with that being that way. But um, before I go, okay, um, you know, uh, I just need to make a mention about Madison Cawthorn, the uh, representative from, I, is it North Carolina, South Carolina? I, I don't remember, but you know Madison. I mean, he's very, um, very uh, unaccepting towards people who are different or other. I don't know if you saw the feed last night in Twitter, but there's a couple of pictures of him dressed in lingerie, having a party with a couple of women. He's holding a glass like, like he's having a good time. And uh, he tried to, he's tried to um, get past that by saying, well, you know, we were just having fun at a party and all of that stuff and no big deal to dress up in lingerie. Uh, me, as Ellie Krug... Uh, Transgender woman who a long time dressed up in lingerie. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, you don't just sort of do that just kind of because it's just the thing to do. And I'm just telling you, okay? You know, people show up. The real people show up when others are not really looking. Okay, well, listen, um, I've got to uh, start wrapping this show up. I have really appreciated the uh, two callers, and, and thank you, Lynette, for always calling in, and my f new friend in California. I, I appreciate your comments about having transgender lawyers on Stephanie Miller. Maybe we'll work on that, uh, Producer Dan. And I need to make sure that I thank my producer, Dan, because he had to, he's had to, he, every time I'm on the show, he has, to, he has to do a couple of hurdles, and he's done a great job today. And listeners, listen, I'm out here. I am trying to do my best, even when I squander opportunities. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Go sign up for my newsletter. It'll be a newsletter. It's going to go out on Monday, hopefully. And, uh, and between now and when you hear my voice next, go out. Do something good. Work to make the world better. Okay? You can do it. All right, talk to you next week. Thanks so very much.